Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 88, Linux Myths, recorded March 24th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Tonight, we're going to peel back the veil on some common Linux myths, 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 that's a hard word to say, some common Linux things that ain't right. Um <laughs> Fallacies. Uh, largely uh, uh, regarding uh, security, but I know there are others that we can throw in there. And what's interesting is, you know, myths almost always have a uh, a basis in truth. In the case of Linux, it's something that had been true in the late 70s and is no longer true <laughs> often. Uh, so anyway. That- Would you say truth or a perception well that's true you know instead of uh, i mean the stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason right they're they they have a basis in truth uh, often an exaggerated truth right it looks like it's true but upon closer evaluation the call is reversed and of course that voice right there is the gooey one mr seth anderson hiya seth hey mark and welcome element opiates and the evil empire to the to the light rebel forces that is the gooey kid is the command line godfather, Darth Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. <laughs> How goes it tonight, guys? And I first choke all of you. Ha! <laughs> hey, have y'all seen that uh, YouTube video about the blowing up of the Death Star being an Oh, inside wasn't that job? great? Yes. It was awesome. It was, you know... It was uh, I saw that one, and then there was another one talking about how the attack on the planet Hoth was designed to fail. Uh, there's, I can't believe people put that much time into them. It makes me want to go watch the movies again. I saw one in in two thousand two, two thousand three. It was a while back, but it was it was enough time after nine eleven that we could start poking fun at it. And it was a conspiracy style thing about the Death Star, but it was all the things that people were saying about nine eleven just twisted to be the Death Star. That uh, you know that, pe- right. that people knew that it, it was coming and that it was actually an inside job, and it was clever and well done, but not quite as funny as this as this newest one, Luke's Change. Google Luke's Change. I think that's what it's called. Um, yes, Luke's Change and Inside Job, and and you'll get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they quote you know um, a a a noted rebel fighter with more than 15 years of combat experience says it's impossible and then they show that one clip of the one guy who had one line that's impossible it's it's awesome <laughs> oh yeah sorry didn't mean to uh didn't mean to derail the show there right okay the so this doesn't have anything yeah. to do with anything but it it's just it was in my head i i've, I've been working off site the last week and um, adding another hour and a half to my daily commute, which is already ordinarily at least an hour. So I've been on the road a lot. And when I saw Chris doing his force choke thing, I, as my mind was wandering in traffic, I had this kernel of an idea about a movie or a comic book or, I don't know, maybe just a, um, an Edgar Allan Poe-style short story, but about a guy who discovers that he has a unique ability. And that is the ability to <laughs> to and to act on things at a distance um, by using the the pers- force pers- perspective. You know, you've you've seen that old Monty Python skit of the guy squishing heads right across the yeah. 
Kids yeah, in the Hall. Uh, okay. That was Kids in yeah, the Hall. Well, no, it was, originally it was Monty Python way back. Um, they got into oh, a really? battle. One guy was going horizontally, and the other guy was going vertically. It was a great scene of the guy going, hold his hand, and it was, anyway. Um, so I had this idea about this guy who could do that, right? So he could, like, lift up a mountain as long as he was far enough away that he could see it in his hand and, like, pick it up and move it. And so there's the... Oh, I'm not wow. saying it was good. I'm just saying it was interesting because everything he does is at a distance, right? He's he- totally helpless up close. He has no power if you're up close because the force perspective doesn't work. And so I, I thought maybe he could even be a villain uh, because he could uh, do wanted mass destruction, right? Pick up an entire city from a distance, like the entire skyline of a city, and crush it. But he would never see firsthand the damages he's done, never be aware of the horror because he's so far away. And so you could play on the concepts of, of, of um, seeing, of doing damage when you're not aware of the concept and the fact that he's, he's helpless when up close. You could play with that with the fact that any time he would actually have a chance to see the effects of his ability, he can't do it. I don't know. Just something that popped into my head. That would be fun. That would be fun. I could I could see that being a an interesting little book. It, like you said, it'd probably be more of a short story, but I could see it. Yeah, I mean, so it would take somebody more talented than I am to flesh it out. So I put it out there onto the interwebs and say, "You're welcome." And if and you so do that it, way, when somebody does it in ten years, you can sue them. <laughs> That's right, because I have recorded Bruce. That this it. was my idea. Uh, but anyway, just it's interesting. Yeah, the the who hasn't done that, right? You've you've played the game where you pick up a house or you squish something, right? We've all done that, just playing with the concept of forced perspective. What if a kid was doing that? I, I, for some reason, I picture him to be a kid, 15, 16 years old, um, and it worked. What would you do, you know, that, that first day that you accidentally moved a mountain? Oh. Yeah. The Get out of my way, car. <laughs> and then it flies. You go, what the Actually, world? that's exactly what it was. I was in traffic. That's what happened because I, you know, I took my hand and grabbed the car in front of me and picked him up and moved him, you know, because I was insane in traffic. And I thought, what if that really happened? How would I react to that? What would, what would that be like? Oof. I would probably have a wreck because I'd be going, "What in the world?" <laughs> ah! and I would die before I could ever explore the. No, power. see, you'd see the oncoming car and put your hand up and stop it. See, because you have that power. Oh, okay, but okay, if I did that. Would like my hand hurt where it smashed into my force hand? Would it be like the damage <laughs> transference? Or? Well, that's interesting. That's a that's an angle you could take. That there's some price he has to pay for doing that. Yeah. yeah just a glimpse inside the twisted mind of your host, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, my name is Mark, and welcome to my hell. So, um, <laughs> Seth, how's the running going? Man, I did a, I did 16 minutes Friday. Uh, I was proud of myself for finishing, and it was getting kind of slow at the end, but I toughed it out and made 16 minutes, so I got to start 17 on Monday, and by next week, not this, not this coming week that started today, but next week I will actually run for an hour over three days, and I don't think I've ever done that before in my entire life, ran for an hour in a week. Well, 16 so. minutes at an average jogging pace would be you ran about a mile. Well, but this is a this is a fat guy lumber, so I don't know that that's average jogging pace, but you know, it it is a lot faster than walking for me. So I'm hoping 
I did a mile. I don't have enough guts to go to a track yet in time myself, so I at least have the illusion of progress going. <laughs> That's right. You just you have the clock. That's good enough. And the, right. And the illusion is good enough, right? It, well, at this as point, as long as yes, the trends because, are going up, right? That's all that matters. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know, I've got not quite two months, uh, like a little over seven weeks to continue to prepare. So. I'll be doing 30 minutes then, and I figure if I'm consistently doing 30, then when the 5K gets here, I'll have enough endurance built up to, you know, pant through the rest or yeah, something. Yeah, on, on average, it takes somebody 30 minutes to run a 5K. So, you know, a super fat guy, maybe 40 minutes. So you'll be you'll be in right, right in, in line with it. So yeah, and you know, I might be the I might be the fattest guy to finish and I might be the last one across the line, but you know, my goal is to finish and that will set a 5k record for right. me. Uh That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So uh all I have to say is if I see a guy building a boat, I'm getting in. The rainy season <laughs> has begun in North Georgia. And let me tell you there 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 are rainy seasons in East Texas where I'm from. But the rain that we would get in the entire season, I've gotten this week in Georgia. Um, oh. uh, you know, there's a reason the trees here are 100 feet tall. They get lots of water. Uh, coming yeah. from Texas, I've, I literally, well, I don't say never. I've never been up close to trees that big on a regular basis. I mean, I've been to the Redwood Forest in California. I've seen big trees. But I come here and I still marvel at the fact that I'm standing on the 15th floor of my office building looking up at the top of a tree. That's just unreal that to me. That is pretty cool. Um that's cool though. Yeah, because there's just there's just not that much water in the entire state of Texas to have trees that big. Um, so yeah, Georgia gets a lot of water, and uh, I'm I'm getting my first experience at it. And we live up, you know, uh, uh, in the foothills uh, of the the base of the Appalachian Mountains, is where I live. Um, the area is called the Piedmont area, which is French for foothills. Uh, so it would take a lot for the water to get up this high. But if I see a guy building a boat. I'm getting in. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I don't blame you there, man. Don't blame me at all. Because history records that at least one time, it was the prudent thing to do. <laughs> right. Well, and if you look at the history, just shorter history than that, last year, how much water did they get? Probably more than they could handle last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think they should not call it Hotlanta. They should call it Wetlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, if you're from Texas, the heat here ain't nothing but the water. That's, that's a lot of water. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Enough about that. Anything else before we move on to our listener comments, guys? Not really. Other than damn you, Borderlands, releasing a new pack, making me go play some more. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There has not been a game since the late 80s early 90s that i've been hooked on like that i'm just i don't have that personality where i get hooked on a game and have to play it forever i i normally don't either but it's one of those things when they keep adding new things to do you know if if it's just the same grind i get bored of it but it's new things it's it's go to this new area it's go to see play with this new character that you you know never played with before they're they're adding more downloadable content so it's like damn you Borderlands, I just about had you finished, and now new character and a new playthrough and a level, and a level cap going up. So it's like, oh! See, I, I, just, I murdered many an hour 
playing Super Street Fighter 2 on this on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Many, oh, yeah. many, <sighs> many an hour. Uh, but it's probably been oh, that long. Man. I had a brief flirtation with Dune, the uh, the original Westwood yep. uh, PC game Dune. Um, but I played through all three houses. You know, there's only ten levels. I played through all three of those in in a few days, and at that point, I was just kind of done. There's no reason to go back. So you yeah, know, there's not not really been anything that would just hold my attention like that for forever. And I don't know about Borderlands, but I know a lot of the the games today. You know, Diablo three, for example, they're just Skinner boxes. You just click until pellets come out of the little trap door, and and that's what you do. It's just an it's that's there's not a whole lot of of risk or reward. You just click the button until until food pellets drop out, and then you eat them like a good little mouse. Uh, so yeah, that's that's similar to what this is like. But I like finding, you know, if it's just that, then yeah, it's just a stupid little click button until something else comes out to make you click the button faster. But what I'm like trying to find is the different hidden little Easter eggs that they fa- that they've stuffed into this game. Like there's a Timon and Pumbaa reference. <laughs> nice. And there's a Naughty Bear reference, and and there's all these different references that if you go out and find them, then you you can say yeah I found that, and that's that's what I always keep finding is, is I, you know, playing through the game and finding all the super wep- super powerful weapons is fun, but. I like finding the little niches that they threw in there that, you know, unless you have to go out way past some beaten path to find them or figure out a combination of things to blow up to, to get it correct. It's just, that's what gets me. And the fact that they're adding a new area, a new, a new player character. Yeah, here there goes another couple more days of my life. See, I briefly flirted <laughs> with the uh, Halo universe, uh, with Halo 2 and 3. Uh, and while I like the story and it's immersive, um, I've gone into to YouTube and watched all the cutscenes, so now I know the whole story. Um, but at some point, that ruins the game. Well, well, that's the thing. The game ruins the game because at some point, after you've killed everybody, you're just a guy wandering around a maze full of dead bodies with creepy music playing. And that, at that <laughs> point, I'm done. It's like, all right, I, if I need, I need an IDKF kqa mode uh, uh, i need a cheat code where i can walk through walls or something because that that totally ruins the game for me as long as i'm killing bad guys and dodging lasers i'm good but once all the bad guys are done and i've got cortana saying chief hurry up to the second level and i'm just running around going have i looked at that door yet i don't know this dead body looks familiar how about that dead body have i been here yet that that just loses me uh, and so, yeah. you know, and, and you can get through like two levels of just run and gun, and then there's a level where you get stuck in a maze, and that's where I lose interest. So Halo 2 and 3, yeah. both, I, I never finished them. I just lost interest in them because of that. See, I don't think there's any mazes. There's, there's a lot of grind where you have to go fetch these th- 10 things from so-and-so and bring them back to me, but there's always enemies in the way. So you're never just running through dead bodies. And then they've also got uh, enemies that are super duper overpowered, and so then it takes a little bit of player skill to, or that, or you've spent it hours and hours trying to find the rare guns that'll make him mincemeat quickly. Um, otherwise, it's just your bare skill of how to maneuver away from his attacks. So it, so far, it's holding my attention. This I've played this game longer than most of the other games I've played, so we'll see. All right. I've never played Borderlands. That's the one with the the guys that wear the gas masks, right? Yeah, yeah. The 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 funny looking masks and yeah. 
and you shoot them in the face and they make a big pop about a big popping looking and yeah so is that feeding them a gas or keeping a gas from them um i don't know why they wear the mask honestly okay they're just wearing a mask to be scary i guess all right whatever works you know what why did jason wear a mask to cover up no. his hideous, deformed, rotten face. Well, that might be why they're wearing one, too, then. <laughs> so, you know, right now, it's the middle of March Madness. Um, if you're at all existing in the world, you know that. Uh, my teammates, uh, co-workers, rather, um, at work, are all into this March Madness. They all have their brackets, and, and it's it's all they talk about. And And, you know, every now and then somebody will mention it to me and i'll say something like that's some sort of sports ball reference right um how many how many hockey goals did they touchdown score i don't the fact is i'm actually a sports fan in some avenues but when it comes to basketball i don't get it it's just it's squeaky shoes on wood that's all i can see it's just annoying yeah it's different if you're playing the game but watching it yeah, I just can't. Do See, it. I felt that way I, about I, I both can't. football and hockey at first until until I understood the game. I had a good friend in college who was a football fanatic, and he sat down and explained the game to me. Explained to me the strategy of it and the skill of it, and how this thing that looks mundane is actually really incredibly difficult to do. And that guy that just did it is the best in the world at it. Once I understood that, I really appreciated the game. Same with hockey. Uh, once I understood, you know, the the rules of the game, and it wasn't just whacking a piece of rubber back and forth i got it um soccer that didn't help i understand soccer and i still think it's the second most boring sport on the planet golf being the first um basketball yeah, i can't watch any of those yeah, basketball just doesn't interest me in any way um and it, you know to each their own right it's just not for me now i can play those sports i've never had a problem playing any of those but i can't watch them I just I want to f- curl up in a ball and take a nap after about the first you know inning outing whatever. <laughs> uh, baseball is the same thing. Now, see, um, I enjoy I, baseball highlights. When you take the six uh, minutes of exciting play out of a four-hour baseball game and distill it down, I enjoy that. But- yep, <laughs> I agree. Um, the only exception would be is if you're there live. If you're actually sitting in the stands watching a game, that's a different subject. Well, that's um, because they know the game is boring, and they have lots of other things going on to get your attention. Well, there's that, and then, it, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think how to explain it, but it, it's also the feeling of the crowd. You know, that, that herd mentality that kicks in when people are in a large group. It's different when yeah, you're watching. I think that is the um, mass denial that it's boring kind of kicked in and overpowered everyone so you all pretend like it's exciting <laughs> it's like like a massive stockholm syndrome we're here we paid right. the ticket we're hostages we might as well enjoy it no, i didn't spend all this money to watch something boring yeah. dad it, this is fun yeah so and, and hot jim dogs, in the chat room their hot dogs are pretty good jim in the chat room says he likes to see a good defensive game home runs bore him you're in the minority now jim everybody now wants to see a 15 to 17 game but i'm like you and chris i those, want to see a pitching duel i want to see and chris those hot dogs better be good because you're paying yeah. like 50 bucks a pop for them <laughs> i know and the warm beer to go along with it right uh, never i yeah, never I'm tested the beer drinker, the last so. time i was on on a field so next time i go to one i'll have to say how how well it was if it was warm or whatever i'm sure they're not going to have my beer of choice because nobody stocks guinness 
So, see, I like to watch a really good pitcher throw a ball so fast I can't even track it, um, or um, you know, a a trickster pitcher who paints the corner, and you're watching it going, "How was that not out?" And the the um, but the umpire is calling it a strike, and you know, I enjoy that because I recognize the skill involved in that. Or when when there's a a breaking ball that looks like it's going to hit the guy in the head, and then at the last second just drops right in across the plate. That's that's fun for me to watch, but not three and a half hours worth of it. <laughs> right. All right, so let's move on to our listener comments for the week. I had uh, uh, put out a plea for listener comments that I want to do an all-comment show, all comments all the time. Um, and I still want to do that. We don't have quite enough built up, but I have saved some back. Uh, this is a portion of things here that are germane to exactly what we've been talking about. Um, but there are some other good con- uh, stuff that came in that sort of doesn't relate directly to recent shows, and that's great. I like that sort of stuff. I'm going to gather all those up, and we will do an all-comment show in the future. But right now, we have an email from Paul regarding um, Yahoo email. Seth talked about being hacked, and Chris and I both admonished him to use uh, LastPass and get a strong password. Um, and Paul says, um, LastPass might not help. I have to relate my Yahoo Mail story. About a year ago, I got a Gmail saying that the password on my not used at all for at least two years Yahoo account had been changed. Huh. So I logged into it after doing an email password recovery and found that someone with a decidedly juvenile sense of humor had indeed been into it. I changed the password to something very strong. The next day, I got another email that the password had been changed. In, reta- in retaliation, I changed it to 32 random characters from GRC.com. Next day, same thing. What the heck? Is there a keylogger on my computer or a different computer? I booted to an old Nopix 5 CD and set a different 32-character password. Next day, same thing. To make a long story short, too late, Paul, Yahoo admitted that the interloper was getting in by using a golly. I don't remember the challenge questions, and I don't have access to my alternate email any longer method. In other words, social engineering. To add to the humor, it took Yahoo, quote, engineers several days to allow me back in so that I could set a new password and continue my practice of ignoring the account. (laughs) Yes. That's how Matt Honan recently famously got hacked. Wasn't that there was anything wrong with his password. It was just that Apple said, ah, we don't need the password. Uh, Just verify who you are. Well, I can't really do that either. Well, okay, that's fine. We'll go ahead and change the password. So as long as you have um, lax practices at the service uh, to which you subscribe, no amount of password strength will help. Yeah. And and while I don't know that that's what happened to Yahoo recently, I think that the the people who've been uh, hacked recently, it's been entirely Yahoo's fault. Yeah, I I saw many a story on the interwebs uh, where Yahoo people had been bellyaching about our passwords being hacked. But absolutely no response from Yahoo, the company itself. So they're still they're still remaining mute on the subject, as they always do. Yep. And uh, actually, somebody probably hacked that person's account, and they don't know how to reset it. <laughs> Well, see, it was it was all those employees that had been working from home who got mad when their new CEO called them in. You guys are familiar with that story, right? Yeah. CEO, uh, what's her name? I'm just blanking on her name. Um, I don't remember either. Worked at, yeah, worked at Google remember. for a while. So, chat room, help me out. What's her name? Anyway. Um, if only there were some way we could look that up. 
So yeah, let me Google that for you. Yeah. So she she looks at the Marissa Mayer. Thank you, Marissa Mayer. She looked at the uh, the VPN logs. Too, so say again. Sorry. She's pretty cute too. Okay, good. So yeah, so Mar- Marissa Mayer, the new CEO at Yahoo, looked at the the uh, VPN logs and said nobody who's working from home is logging in ever. So instead of handling it um, in a quiet HR fashion, she just simply uh, sent out a, a, a company memo saying there will be no more working from home, which, of course, was immediately leaked to the press. And shortly after, <laughs> Yahoo Mail started getting hacked. Coincidence? Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Travmon said he thought he was watching the wrong feed because we were talking about everything but Linux. <laughs> I can see why you would think that, Travmon. <laughs> so, uh, moving on, another uh, email from Richard um, would like to make a birthday announcement. Last week we said happy birthday to the great RMS. And Richard says, Hi, Mark, Seth, and Chris. I wanted to point out to you that yet another Richard who is more important than Richard Stallman had their 43rd birthday on March 15th. That Richard was me. So it's clear that Richard considers himself more important than Stallman. And in his own life, he's absolutely <laughs> right. Um, he says, keep up, keep up the good work. And the ideal minimum length for a show is two hours to allow time Oof. for serious discussion of bacon and other meat related topics, as well as the discussion of Linux kind regards. Richards, P.S., and this is the whole reason this email is in here. Chris, I hereby challenge you to use Ubuntu and Unity for at least a month. Gauntlet thrown Richard, down. Richard, I don't know if I can do that. I hate Unity. I hate it. But, all right, I've been challenged. I'll be, I'll, fine. <laughs> I will have to say, though, I cannot do it on my work machine, though, because I think if I rebuilt my machine again, I think the, uh, my boss would probably have my head on a pike. So it'll have to be only on my laptop and my home machines. Sorry. You can run just into tell him that, uh Yeah, all you have to tell him is just, you know, hey, if this were a Windows machine, this would be standard practice. <laughs> he knows that. That's why he says I can't do it again. <laughs> Yeah, I I did a very rare reshare on Facebook this week, and it was a, a picture of a of an operating room, and the doctor says, "Well, let's just shut down his whole system and restart it again." And the captain was, "Why computer engineers should not be surgeons?" Definitely, <laughs> I, I, I that's like cool. That, that's that's the, the answer I still give. Uh, I mean, you, the people know I used to be uh, a, a network guy. So at work, when they have computer problems, they come to me because they can reach me rather than the IS department. And the first thing I say is rule number one in the technician handbook, reboot. Rule number two, blame the customer. So before you reboot, I mean, before I blame you, go reboot, and then I will blame you. It's uh, it's true. It's absolutely true. Yep. The magic of a reboot. It fixes so many things. It's It's true. It really, really does. And your your IT folks aren't just just pulling your leg, people. It really does fix lots of things. It shouldn't. In a perfect world, a reboot should never be necessary, except maybe for a kernel update where you literally can't patch that in the running. Uh, but even on Linux, there are times when you just got to reboot. The other thing that's yep. funny is that 
there is a um, a kernel package, and I don't remember who it who does it off the top of my head. I'm sure I could find it with a couple of Google searches, but uh, there is a kernel system that if you move to it, it never reboots. The even with a kernel update because it, it's all done in line. Um, yeah, uh, I saw that and I was like, that sounds interesting, but uh, kind of scary at the right. same time. I'm not time. sure I would trust that because what's running if you're replacing the kernel? That's like replacing it, uh, your pistons without turning the engine off. Maybe it just restarts some Damien's or something without actually ever rebooting. It just restarts. Maybe uh, it could. Maybe it does it in stages. I don't know. I, I was. I'll have to look. I'll look it up and I'll see if I can find it for next week so we can discuss it or a show in the future. But it was really interesting when I read about it. Um, I'll have to see if I, I can find it. See if it's still around. Well, you know, VMware can move a whole machine, a virtual machine, from one entire physical platform to another without uh, out ever shutting it down, which is going to be a similar sort of task. So there, there's got got to be some sort of like they bring up another kernel and then hand tasks off to it and you're running both kernels parallel for a while something like that yeah i remember i found this article that told you how to um keep a microsoft windows box going instead of rebooting it after installing updates and it had a there was this long list of services you had to start and stop in specific order and it was quite complicated but they were pretty confident that if you followed them it would get over the mandatory reboot prompt so I'm sure it can be done. I don't know. I'll, like I said, I'll I'll even write it on my notes for for uh, next I'll, to find it. Okay. And we have another comment from another Chris. Um, Chris says, "Hey Mark, Chris and Seth, I've been listening for about six months or so. Not sure if I fit into your unfit listener category." Um, it's a comment I've made a few times on this show that if you're listening to the show, there's a good chance you're out of shape. Um, and he, he says, fitness is my profession, profession, kinesiology. I'm an ultra marathon runner, any difference distance over 26 miles, a running coach and a Canadian. Hey, eh? uh, congrats on your weight loss and 5k goal guys. I wish you, wish you the best. Please feel free to shoot me any questions or ask advice. If anything comes up injuries, etc. running is not that bad for your knees. If you do it right, i.e. 180 foot strikes per minute. I'm going to have to contact him. <laughs> yeah. He should check out one of our other podcasts on the network, um, One Meal, One Workout. Absolutely. Um, and again, I will repeat, if I'm running 180 foot strikes per minute, it's because a guy with a chainsaw is chasing me running at 160 foot steps <laughs> per minute. That's the only reason that would ever happen. Uh, then he goes on to ask a question. He says, I'm looking to set up an untangle box for my wife at her coffee shop to filter and provide Wi-Fi for customers and have a splash page slash captive portal. I do not have any spare boxes around other than an old HP DV6000 Pavilion laptop running Mint. Could it work with another network card? Any suggestions? Or should I try to get my hands on something else? I don't have a lot of cash to throw at this. I just wanted to impress her with my geeky prowess. Not sure what's the best solution. Any suggestions would be helpful. Uh, yes, it will work. Just go to your local electronics store. I don't know what they have in Canada. And buy a PCMCIE or even a USB Ethernet card. And you will be able to put um, Untangle on it. However, I believe the Untangle Captive Portal is a paid um, uh, part of the 
the package. So you can get it. It's just not going to be free. Yep. Have you used it, Chris? Um, we were going to use it at one of at the school, but when they when we were talking about captive portaling, uh, the idea was shot down pretty quickly, saying that at least at the last meeting, um, before Untangled went into play, it might change though with all the with the new stuff that we're working on. Um, but yes, it is part of the paid packaging. I've been considering doing something like that. Um, just at my house, um, not with necessarily a captive portal, but setting up a second unencrypted Wi-Fi for the world to use that can't touch my network, you know, just so that somebody wants to use my Wi-Fi, they can. I'm, that's the kind of guy I am. Um, but then it restricted and right. so they can't come, you know, uh, so all you'd actually need to do is in your, your, uh, Boris box add another network card and right. attach an access point to it. Well, the problem with that is I'd have to create a DMZ, right? Because once you're in the Wi-Fi, you're past the firewall, really, at that point. So I'd have to, I'd have to create some sort of DMZ to make that happen. And I could do it. I'm just not sure I'm willing to actually go to all that effort to be a good or, Samaritan. What you could do is just... Um, are you still running your Boris Sparks, Mark? I am. You could just slap another router in there, and that should do it. Because the router would be outside of the network, it would segregate your your networks. Uh, well, it depends and on IP where I put change it in. Yeah, or- if I if I plugged it in in line with my cable modem now, that would work on the front side of the Boris box, I suppose. Yeah, before the Boris box, yeah, that would work because a Boris box would stop anything from that router coming into your network completely. That's true. But then you'd have you would have no control over bandwidth. Um, right. On them, but then, the router itself. But then, yeah. if someone could compromise his router, then everything from his Boris box goes through the router, and thus defeating the point of having the ultra security. Yeah, that would be very difficult. But yes, that is possible to do it that way. So then, I mean, you would have two, two Boris boxes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Versus just one uh, router with a couple of, with an extra network card. So yeah, really, the only or, way to do it would be to set up an entirely different network a dmz with a second out to my cable box and a second out to the why you know i just decided i'm never going to do this it's totally not worth the effort <laughs> yeah there, you could do it with uh untangled has the ability to do it by segregating the land right one you know land one land two um but then yeah you'd have to be doing some pretty good trickiness to keep it regulated right see some wi-fi access points have the ability to spin up a VLAN, a virtual Wi-Fi access point. Uh, so yep. that would be a way to do it. You just buy one of those. It's just a little more expensive. And you spin up a virtual uh, wireless LAN that only has access to like two IP addresses or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Too much work. Never mind. <laughs> there's being a good Samaritan and then there's taking the easy yeah. way. <laughs> See, I, I always liked to have my... Wi-Fi unencrypted. I you just because I think it's you know it's the when I'm out and about if I can find free Wi-Fi that's a bonus right. However, on the other side, I'd never trust open Wi-Fi when I get it. So I wonder you know I can put it out there being a trusting person, but who's going to use it if they're not a trusting person, right? So right because what happens if they get on your unprotected Wi-Fi and download not just questionable stuff, but downright illegal right, stuff. Right. 
it would be traced back to your IP, and then you would have to prove right. it wasn't you. And even then, you could still be held liable because you did not provide a uh, protected access point. And that's true. There are people who have done like exit nodes for tour that have been that, and they can yep. they can prove technologically that they were not responsible for it. But that doesn't change. The law hasn't caught up with the technology yet. And that's one of those few cases, really, where in America, you're guilty until proven innocent. Anything with the Internet, you are guilty until you prove your own innocence. Um, and, you know, it's the the France's three-strike law. I think it's France, maybe Germany. The, the three-strike law where if you get accused of copyright infringement, not proven, but accused three times, you're off the net. Um, it really is a guilty until you prove your own innocence situation. See, and I remember seeing something from the EFF where it was some of the big ISPs are going to do a five strike rule for the for United States. Um, I don't know if it actually went in, but I know it was you know warned on EFF. So yeah, I remember that's reading something that story. That, <laughs> By the way, chat rooms just catching up with the conversation it says the uh regarding the kernel the arch linux people have a have, a, have an old saying save yourself some time and reboot your computer in the background <laughs> that sounds like an <laughs> arch thing to say yep uh okay moving right along to the news of the week this just in max get malware 2 ladies and gentlemen yes this just in hot news max get malware 2 Yes, there is a new round of a malware called Yantu.1 that is does it is designed to install a plugin uh, regardless of whether you're using like um, Chrome, Firefox, or Safari that will kind of page hijack and uh, install malicious code and. While there are variants that target Windows, this one pretty much just targets Macs. So uh, it's out there. And it's not really news, but I'm so sick and tired of my Apple fanboy friends talking about how impervious to all forms of evil their Macs are. And I just, you know, I'm co-host of a podcast and I wanted to point out Macs get malware too. You know, one of the things about that, that, uh, that myth, while we're talking about myths, that Macs are invulnerable, has created... Um, some say smug, I would say an ignorant user base. They don't yep. make any effort to protect themselves because they think they don't have to. Whereas even the most um, superficially um, um, sophisticated Windows user knows you need a, an antivirus software. Yeah, they might not know you need to update it right. once every 10 years or so, but they know you need one. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, Linux users also have have fallen to the that myth that um, um, Linux is invulnerable, and that's simply not true. It's very very much more difficult to be infected, but uh, yeah. it's not invulnerable. I yeah, would say actually... it's not Linux that's getting the infection, though. I would say it's the user is the one allowing the infection in usually. Well, and that's the the case with the Mac as well, and in fact, Windows for the most part too. It's it's almost always user intervention. But the the mm -hmm. the, the the fact remains that just because you're on Mac or Linux doesn't make you impervious. Yeah, right. Yeah, Semant um, 
it was it kind of made some mainstream press about um, South Korean sites getting attacked a couple of weeks ago, and they actually found Semantic found in the code a uh, malware that specifically targets and wipes Linux machines. So uh, I don't know how effective it was. Um, but it was designed to, you know, overwrite the master boot record uh, and even then random parts of the file system as well. So, and again, it was targeting Linux machines on that. So again, you know, and we've, we've said it many times, you know, be careful and you're not invulnerable just because you're running Linux. You're not invulnerable just because you're running Mac. And, uh, you know, you have to be careful when you're on the Internet even if you're not going to run antivirus, you still need to be careful um, what you do online. So, but yeah, what's interesting w- there is I how would- they get that access because the only way in, on Linux to rewrite the master boot record, the MBR, is to have root access. And I don't know of any Linux distro that ships with the user having root access. So they ha- at some point, they have to convince the user to allow that. Uh, by yeah, entering they have their to ask password. for their password. Yeah, right. But you know, how hard is it to, uh, you know, you think you're installing some uh, video player to watch the latest, right? Uh, whoever's popular music-wise video, and so you know, uh, install, you know, what's your password to install it, and boom, you just gave them access to your computer. Which I, so, I can confess, I fell victim to that. I was on a website that told me I needed a player. And I just wasn't thinking, and I clicked yes, and it began to download. And I went, wait a minute, what did I just do? And I stopped the download, uh, and I looked at it, and I realized that I, it was trying to infect me. But if I hadn't, you know, if I had continued in my uh, method of distractedness, I would have been infected by my own choice. I would have told the machine, yes, please infect me. You know, and I got a phishing email a while back, and I don't remember if it was PayPal or something, but I clicked on it because I it looked legitimate in the tests I normally do, but then when I clicked on it, um, Firefox had blocked it because it was pointing to a malicious website, and I was like, what in the world just happened to me? And then so I went back and examined the email I got. I went, oh my gosh, this was phishing. And it was good phishing. They would have yeah, caught me. Yeah. So, uh, and I consider myself, you know, not uh, I, somewhat of a security expert. You know, not that I'm the security expert, but normally I see through those. But it caught me. So, no matter how smart you are or think you are, they'll fool you. So luckily this time, it, you know, it was an email account I don't check every day. And so it, it, the, um, they had had time to update and realize that it was a malicious site. But, um, you know, just be careful. You got to be careful out there. You wouldn't drive your car into downtown big city next to you and leave the keys in it unlocked. You know, so don't go on the worldwide internet, uh, <laughs> you know, and just expect it to be. You know, roses and sugar plums. Yeah, I mentioned that. I think on this show, it might have been one of the others I do, but Chrome saved me from that same thing. It was a phishing email that looked very real, and I clicked on it thinking I was going to go to where I needed to go, um, and I commented that LastPass probably would have saved me in that one because it wouldn't have autofilled, which would have made me think, wait a minute, something's not right here. Uh, but yeah, even even those of us who are diligent uh, can be sucked in. It's called phishing for a reason. You know, that, that worm looks tasty. Um, yeah, I yeah. guess I'm 
too much of the trust no one mentality. I'd never click links instead of emails ever. I don't care who it's from. Um, I'll, I'll manually t- I will manually type them in every time. So I guess I just yeah, the, trust the no one. The one that got me was thank I you, checked. Steve, I checked. Thank you, Steve Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> the one that got me was I checked the URL. I mean, I read the URL and said, okay, this is going to where I think it's going to go. But they had used JavaScript to mask the URL. So they were presenting mm-hmm. one thing and sending me somewhere else. Um, so I even, you know, I took the, the extra step and said, let me verify this is going to send me where I, where I want to go. And, uh, and it didn't. Uh, yeah, which, well, like I said, I still would have just typed it in. Right. I would have read it, you know, two-paneled it and read and typed. And that's how I do my the links that people send me is I manually type them in because I'm a, a, a sadist. Masochist. Masochist. Yeah, sadist enjoys. I'm a masochist enough. A sadist was me like who would send you a 300 character URL. That's a sadist. Yeah. Just to make you. For now on, I'm not going to use Bitly links anymore. I'm actually going to go to an expander. I'm going to run it through an MD5 hash and send you that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Um, but, you know, as we've been saying here, uh, Linux needs its shots too. Um, you gotta. The, the, I still don't recommend running antivirus on Linux because I think it's you know it's swatting a mosquito with a sledgehammer. But do make sure you're up to date. Right, and you know they are have um, maybe not run antivirus, but you could download something like Clam AV and then periodically scan. So you know maybe not do the real time protection, but periodically scan your machine. I think would be wise. Yeah, good good uh, tips there. The other thing I would say is install Web of Trust. Um, it's not perfect, but it does give you a hand up on if that link is fishy or not. And just as a quick uh, overview, Web of Trust is uh, a plug-in for your browser where users tag bad URLs. And when you when your browser goes somewhere, it gives you the Web of Trust. It's a is red, green, red, and yellow, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it gives you one more tool to, you know, is that link, is it 100% green? Then it's probably, you would have a better chance of getting me to click it than if it was any other color or not reported on at all. All right. And on a different note entirely, there's an open source project out there that aims to give Google Docs a run for your money. And that open source being LibreOffice. We've talked about it before. They want to create a web version of LibreOffice. Um, I hope they succeed. That would be great. I would. I've said many times I'd love to host my own Google Docs on my own servers that I can control. Uh, but so far, nothing comes even close. And actually, it's not LibreOffice. It's OX Documents. Oh, excuse me. So uh, yeah, they they're challenging both Google Docs and LibreOffice. Oh, see, that's a bad headline. So- I misread it. Uh, yeah, and uh, actually, I came across this at a couple of different places. They only have OX text now, so um, you know, because it's kind of in beta. But eventually, you know, they'll have their um, uh, spreadsheet program and then a viewer kind of PowerPoint-ish type thing. But um, so yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, because Google is great if you drink the Google Kool Aid, but you know, Google owns your data and they let you look at it from time to time is, uh, <laughs> seems to be the added, the mindset they're taking. Um, and so this is open source. So it will be your data. 
um, I'm curious to see if it will be an offline component where you have the document stored um, or if, if you'll do something like Google Drive. I really want to take a look at it once it gets going and see what it is because it's it seems like something that I would like to be a part of. Yeah, I, uh, there are a couple of things that absolutely are musts. It, it must happen to be uh, worthwhile in any way to me, and that is it has to have multi-user editing. I've got to be right. able to edit it while you're editing it, and I need to see your change um, in real time because Google Docs has spoiled me to that. I have used that now, and I can't go back. You can't unring the bell. Uh, I must yep. have that. Uh, and, and even... Um, the last time I checked, uh, Microsoft's Office, uh, Live Office, what, what are they calling that? I can't Live 365. Live 365 can't do that. It does an approximation of it, uh, but it's not multi-user real-time editing, or at least the last time I looked. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, Google Docs is the only person, only company that does that and does it well. Uh, and and yeah. Google Docs has really been beefing up their tablet support now Using it on a tablet or a smartphone is is about ninety five percent of the same experience as using it on on a desktop, which was their big um, f- missing feature up to this point. And so they they are without a doubt the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. And I and I want somebody to to give me a real alternative, but so far no one's even come close. Yeah, and it'll one be, thing, it'll be interesting to see if the Open Exchange Group can can fix or can get ahead of them. Uh, I wish them luck. I, I really w- agree with you, Mark. I, I want somebody to to challenge that 800 pound gorilla. Yeah, because with and, you know the recent killing of Google Reader, uh, I'm scared they're going to oh. come back someday and say, you know, Google Docs is dead. See ya. You've got until June 1st to get all your crap off. Bye. Um, yeah, and that would scare me. Um, I, I was a big proponent of. I, I used Google Reader every day, so the fact that they're killing it pretty much put me. And behind now, I'm all my RSS readers. So now I got to go out and find another one that I can attach my desktop, my laptop, my tablet, and my work computer all to. I am user so, 29,856 in line to have my uh, queue imported into the oldreader.com. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you know how good it is in a couple of months at this rate. Uh, no, actually, it, the old reader, if you don't aren't familiar with it, uh, when Google Reader took away sharing, these guys said, well, we're just going to do it our own way. And they uh, did a pretty good job of recreating the Google Reader interface. Uh, I've already imported a couple of things. You, you can't, it takes forever to import, but you can still go add subscriptions. I added a few feeds. That's going to be my uh, replacement, I'm pretty sure. It's 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 Spartan, which I like. You know, I tried um, Feedly. Feedly is too pretty. I'm not interested in pretty. I don't want a magazine interface with a light box that pops out. I don't want that. I want to be able to read the thing and decide whether I'm going to click and read the full article or mark it as read and move on. And uh, Google yep. Reader was awesome for that uh, until Microsoft, or excuse me, uh, Google decided they had no interest in it anymore. So my recommendation, after I having looked at dozens, literally dozens of alternatives, is theoldreader.com. That is going on my list as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, next news story in the list. How much internet is too much? Well, that all depends on who you ask. Uh, the average U.S. household now has 5.7 internet-connected devices, and more and more of these are smartphones and tablets. Will there be enough internet to go around? 
I just thought that was ridiculous. The average household. <laughs> enough internet I, what to go around? Enough cat videos? What? What's the question? Enough of what to go around? Well, just, um, you know, bandwidth, IP addresses, everything. Oh, uh, Are you <laughs> clear? Who wrote this? ZDNet? Really? Are you totally unaware of the existence of IPv6 in which every user in the galaxy, every star in the galaxy, could have the entire 4 billion uh, addressable internet that we have now associated with it, and we'd still have space left over? Right. If everybody would move to IPv6. Well, it's going to happen. It has has to to happen. It has to, yes, but it hasn't happened yet. And I just, you know, I mean... 5.7 5.7 devices. Now, I know in your house, Mark, you probably have, what, 15 or 20. Um, and I think in my house, I have I have like three or four as well. So I count 12 I just off the top of my head. 12? 12. 12. All, right, I, all right, I don't feel so bad at 18, so I'm all right. Oh, wait, no, wait. 12. There's the Wii and the DVD player and the media center, so that's 16. Um, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, it's more than I thought. Yeah, because there's five the, the Xbox have yeah. sixteen devices. Yep, that are interconnected. Wow. But natting solves that problem. I, you know, right. I hear this all the time. The reason we haven't moved to IPv6 is because NAT solved the problem. My cell right. phone now, when I do an IP lookup on my cell phone, it gets a ten dot address. AT and T is using NAT for all of their things, and unless they have more than four billion customers in an area, it's not going to be a problem. Well, the main reason I wanted to mention it was because the average U.S. household now has 5.7 internet-connected devices. And I just thought that was a lot of freaking devices to have. So, Yeah, of course, technically, no. if, if I'm being, being pedantic about it, there are three internet-connected devices in my house. There's the cable modem and two cell phones. So there are a lot of other things that connect to the internet, but only three of them are directly connected. And really, if I'm being super uber pedantic, it's only two. There's AT&T's router and Xfinity's router because both, yeah. my, both my phones get private addresses. Right, but how many devices do you have that you touch the internet through? Yeah, and that's a lot. I'm at 16, and I could probably come up with a few more. I didn't, I didn't count the Boris box. There's 17. Uh, I, if you give me some time, I could probably hit twenty-five at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I know of eighteen I, without without counting client machines. Yeah. So, See, I, I don't have many, but I've got my semi-smartphone, a laptop, a desktop, and then my Xbox. So that's and you know, and I have multiple desktops, but I mean, that's four for one person. Right. Uh, I don't need four, but Should I we count I have virtual four. machines too then. Because that would be a lot. No, because the physical devices. we got to draw the okay. line somewhere. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if you get to VMs, wow, you could add another dozen to my list. <laughs> wow. Well, I got 27 in virtual machine alone. So, in yeah, so in virtual box. I don't want to know how many I got sitting in uh, uh, LiveVirt. Yeah, it's just too many. Geeks out <laughs> but, there hearing this, I want you to know there is hope. Two-thirds of the panel here is married. You can find a woman. It's possible. Yes. As geeky but, as mean, we are. But half a billion internet-connected devices in America. So, I mean, that's a lot. So, uh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of people <laughs> on the inter- online. A lot of ways. Now, I'm going to jump to one other uh, 
um, security related story. Uh, and then I think unless one of this other one just super jumps out at me, we'll stop the news there. Uh, better stop what you're doing now and update Ubuntu. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, um, Canonical has cut the support period for their non-long-term supported Ubuntu OSs in half. So they only will have nine months of support. So, yeah, you're going to have to stop what you're doing and update now. Pause the show. We'll wait for you. See, that didn't take too long. Well, so, uh, okay, so the, they come out with a new release every six months, but they're all going right. to support for nine months? The non-long-term releases. Yeah, so, the long-term releases will still have five years yeah, of support. But what I think that's interesting because it's going to force everybody to hit every update. Because you, you can wait for an update to settle down, but you can't wait for the next one to come out. You can't wait a year. Um, yeah. It's going to force every user to have every every version if they want to stay uh, get updates. Right. So I wonder, you know, I mean, that will kind of help, like, fragmenting and multiple packaging support. So, yeah. you know, something that Android is having trouble with, with all the, from 1.6 on still out there, um, they're just going to say, hey, we're not going to have that problem, and we're going to Appleify ourselves and just make you upgrade. Well, it also means that a lot of bugs, bugs just aren't going to be fixed. If it right, takes yeah. more than, say, five months for their developers to fix it, there's no point in even trying. They'll just drop it and move on to the next version. Uh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad way to do things. It's thinning the herd, so to speak, and it forces your your users to move ahead. And like you said, you're not supporting... A legacy stuff it's going to be better for their developers they can be more focused i think it's a it's a good long-term strategy but i think it's kind of dumping on your end user in the end well that's right. something new for canonical yeah um but yeah now the other question i bring up is what's that what's that going to do to uh linuxes that are based on ubuntu your mints and people like that um that's going to change take their over, they'll either have to take over doing their own support or iterate faster yeah, or I mean, that's what I mean. Continue to base off of the LTSs, right? You know, um, trouble with the LTSs is uh, they get really long in the tooth after a couple of years, um, right? And you know that's that's fine if you're in business and you're not interested in having the latest and greatest. Uh, but if you're mint and you're trying to build the latest and greatest off of an LTS, that gets to be a whole lot of work. Yeah. Well, that's that's a, yeah, you're gonna end up in a dead in a dead rain really quick because how often have you ran across packages that you know I've seen packages that support only the newest version of Ubuntu. So if you try to go to a an LTS version, you won't make it because you don't have the you don't have the the kernel juice or um, devices. Your drivers are gonna be, are gonna suffer then too. So I guess the time will tell whether this is a pain point that is worth going through um, you know and the reason i dumped ubuntu on my uh, netbook that i had was because i did the update to the next thing and they one of the way things they had updated was they took out the wireless driver that worked yeah. so uh you know i wonder it, it you're gonna are they gonna lose people because you know one of the strengths of linux has always been you run on older hardware but by making you keep up new stuff you won't be able to keep your old box going 
with Ubuntu. You'll have to upgrade to newer hardware. Well, Ubuntu is, is making a mad dash to the tablet. You know, the phrase I've used on this show for two years now, the tabletification of the OS, that right. they're not trying to make a desktop OS anymore. They, that ship has sailed. They're not right, trying yeah. to make a laptop OS anymore. They're trying to make a tablet OS, um, in which case cutting support for wireless drivers and whatever thing like that that are that are desktop and laptop specific is is a good thing for them it's it's cutting a sandbag off the weather balloon it'll only let them go higher so they're going to be there's going to be new tablets coming out uh, at a rapid cycle they're actually going to be a little slow for that cycle at nine months uh, so i think that's what they're they're running toward they're making a mad dash toward the tablet um and you know if you want to use a long-term support for a laptop or a desktop you can that option is still there but you're not going to be their first class customer yeah and you know you can agree or disagree with that but the fact is it's the business decision that canonical has made and that's the direction they're going so you know right. fuduntu to the rescue Uh, okay. Wow, that was a good discussion. Um, and and moving on, we're going to look at an article in the uh, uh, from the from UnixMen.com uh, called "The Top Five Security Myths About Ubuntu and the Realities uh, Behind Them." And about I, Linux. About Linux. What did I say? Ubuntu. Oh, Ubuntu. Excuse me. About Linux. So we're going to uh, read the article or, or pieces of the article, and then I suspect along the line we will come up with some of our own myths, um, and uh, we will. We've already had a couple of those. Myth number one, Linux is insecure because it makes its code available to everyone. Do we really even have to discuss? Is that really a myth? Do really no. Do people really believe that? I don't think so. It's part of the, uh, what is it, FUD? Um, yeah, fear, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Doubt, yeah, yeah, that is thrown out there. Well, look, hackers can see what the code is, so therefore they can develop stuff for it, but we keep our code secret and nobody knows what it is, so you want us because we're better. The old security by obscurity is better. If nobody knows, they can't uh, attack it. <laughs> How's that working out for you, Microsoft? How's that working out for you, Adobe? Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah. I mean, as uh, Jim Beeson in the chat room says, people who are uneducated will believe that crap. And you're right. Uh, open. I have heard people say open equals more um, uh, less secure, but I've never heard an, a user say that. I've always heard a quote person who knows everything about computers unquote say that. You know, um, yeah. that's the the cousin or the or the nephew, the the seven year old who's the computer genius in the house says crap like that but uneducated people believe them and and yep. uneducated is not an aspersion here we're like this show is designed for the uneducated people we're trying to educate you so you know my mom my wife even if somebody who quote knows everything about computers unquote tells her that she's going to believe it because she doesn't know everything about computers uh so you know the fact is the openness makes us stronger and and the crypto community knows this all the best um, crypto cryptographic algorithms are open and have been well vetted. The internet itself um, is built on a standard of RFCs, requests for comments. It's all open source. Everything about it is open yeah. source, and that's what makes it stronger. Because the more you beat on it, the better it gets. Yeah. So yeah. myth busted. 
Boom. Moving on. <laughs> Myth number two. Linux lacks viruses because it's not very popular. I'm going to call that a half-truth. The reason it, uh, the fact that it's not very popular and that it's a small uh, target base does make uh, uh, virus writers less interested in attacking it. But it, there are viruses. But it's also really hard, just because of the way the system is built, for those viruses to do anything automatically. As we yeah. said earlier, you know, the user has to give them that kind of permission. But we're well, seeing that there are lots of ways to trick people into giving that kind of permission. And he go, he also brings out the point that the only place it's not really popular is on the desktop. But um, in the back room, you know, in Big Iron, Linux is all over the place. And it's as popular as Microsoft, really. And so you could make the argument that where you could do more damage, Linux is as big a juicy target True. as Microsoft. And that was what he was talking about in that to say, you know, people who are in the know to write viruses would be in the know to know that Linux is pretty popular, has a website host and application host in the back rooms of companies all across the world. Who's the author of this article, Seth? Uh, this one is... It's a she. It's uh, Aisha somebody or other. Yeah. And I'm going to honestly say right now, before we go any further, all of these myths are either half-truths or um, all-out broken. As are all so. myths. You know, all myths by definition aren't true. Um, well, dang, Chris, yeah. what are we going to talk about now? That you ruined your <laughs> I, well, I'm just saying. I've just read. I read ahead a little bit, and I'm like, these are all. It, it's all the same. They're just rewording it. Yeah. But but it's you know the fact is these are what this this is stuff people think. Yeah, it, it's true. You know they, they it would not be hard to cull every one of these myths uh, from the internet in a couple of hours. You could find where somebody posted these as truth. Um. And they should be flogged. <laughs> well, they should be educated. Uh, myth number three. Linux is for experts who know how to protect their system, and therefore Linux does not get viruses and is thought uh, secure. So this is just myth 2A, really. Yeah. Uh, but the, I want to say that you know the, the Linux is for experts. That's totally true. Everybody believes uh, that Linux is for experts. They don't know that you know their DVD player and, their, and half of the smartphones in the world are based on Linux. They don't know that. They don't know that uh, you probably can't send an email unless you are sending internally from Microsoft uh, to somebody that it doesn't go across a Linux uh, box. But they think that Linux is for the, the, the Uber geeks. And before Windows 8, Linux was really tons easier to install. Um, you know, because after you install Microsoft, you know, Windows XP 7, Vista 7 was a little better. You then had to get drivers right. for everything to load on there. But rarely did you have to do that with Linux. Most stuff just worked. And I got to say, Windows 8, um, when I installed that, I was surprised at one, how fast it was, and two, how everything worked after the install. So I think Microsoft has kind of caught back up. Um, at least, you know, until a couple of years from now when eight's old and it, its drivers don't work right. anymore. But it's kind of caught back up on being easier to install on the truth. But the, in reality, the truth historically has been opposite, at least in recent history, that Linux is easier for a non-technical person to install 
than previous versions of Microsoft. I agree with that statement. But you know, the the some people would say we need to educate the public and let them know that when they're using Android, they're using Linux, and when they're using the nav system in their brand new Cadillac, they're using Linux. I say we shouldn't educate them. I say that's fine. They don't need to know that. Um, it speaks for itself that they don't know that. If you need to know what operating system you're on, there's a problem with that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Mac users have a very limited subset of all the software in the world they can use because they're on a Mac, which means every day they're reminded of the fact that they're using a Mac. Uh, Windows users, particularly the unsophisticated ones, don't even know. You know, you'll ask them what version of Windows they're using and they don't know. They'll say it's a Dell. Um, yep. they, they don't know. And that's where I would like Linux to be. I would like it to be so ubiquitous and so smooth and so universal universal that people don't even know they're running Linux. And that's where they are in their handset, in their tablet world. It has reached that. They don't even know they're running Linux. And I think that's a good thing. Yep. It's getting close on the desktop, too, as long as we stick with a similar design. I think that's what breaks it on the desktop, is that there's so many different versions. You know, you have Unity with Ubuntu and GNOME 3 and KDE and LXDE and XFCE, and they all look different. If they were a more streamlined interface, looking interface, you know, and you could have the different versions, I think that would help the Linux market get that um, universal feel. Yeah, and I'm going to diverge from the article here because this is really two myths about Linux, and three of them are repeated twi uh, three times. Uh, or one of them is repeated three times. So uh, I'm done with that. I'm going to add my own myth, and that is that Linux is hard to use. That That is yeah. still, uh, you know, we, as we said earlier, it's for experts, but then other people say it's hard to use. And and, and a great example is the uh, the story that we had about uh, uh, Sonar with the, the yeah. blind lady who, who literally didn't know it wasn't Windows, or didn't care, rather. It's not true to say she didn't know. Within a couple of minutes, she was up and doing the things she needed to do. Um, I talk to people all the time uh, who still think Linux is hard to use. They still think it's a DOS box with you know uh, green uh, letters on a black background. And uh, I think that's where we have failed to brand Linux. If yeah. the, if there was a brand, if if we were better at that, Android, Droid, particular Motorola with their whole Droid campaign was really good at branding um the android os in fact they branded it as the creepy destructive robot that will blow up your phone i don't really understand that marketing there <laughs> but uh, they did a good job of marketing it and i would love to see just anybody somebody with the money red hat or or ubuntu um canonical or rather or susa to, to put some money I, ibm tried for a while uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, they had a series of ads with the creepy little white-haired kid uh, that they called Linux. You remember those, Chris? It was uh, this weird little, the, the middleware, anyway, it's not important. Yeah, but, it was their, their thing against middleware, yeah. or yeah. for little middle, middleware. Right. So they tried to brand Linux. They did a really bad job of it. Um, and Everybody who tries to brand Linux tends to be unsuccessful about it. Uh, I would love to have an Apple-style uh, marketer uh, turn their talents onto Linux and really uh, let people know what it's out there, what it can do, you know, and have a have a I'm a Mac and I'm a Linux uh, set of commercials or something that, that that are telling the truth out there. I think that's the biggest weakness is that people still don't know what Linux is. 
And even people who have used Linux in the past still think it hasn't grown. Yeah, there are some great, uh, I'm a Mac, I'm a Linux, I'm a PC uh, commercial parodies on YouTube. There's a few. Uh, I've seen a few, and then there's a, there's just as many though that are horrible, and yeah. you make it make it even worse. So now here's here's uh, here's a myth that, as all myths, have a basis in truth, and that is that Linux users are smug dicks. <laughs> that's that's a myth that's out there and it has its its uh, uh basis in truth and i would love for that to go away i would love to see you know uh, microsoft did the i'm your pc commercials i would love to see something like that and i'm a linux uh commercial uh, then again maybe it would disappoint me because maybe would they all would be overweight neck beards and they do more <laughs> harm than good i don't know it's hard to say but yeah that's one that that you gotta get that People just need to get away from too. So, do you guys People have any need- any myths off the top of your head you can think of? Uh, none that uh, we haven't really already covered. Yeah. Um, Throughout the whole know, show, we've pretty much put bullet holes in all the myths <laughs> I would have brought up too. So, well, um, there is one myth that I have to be the one to bring up. You have to use the command line yeah. to do Linux. Which is not true. Trust me. Trust the gooey kid on this. You don't have to be a command line godfather to be productive in Linux. And you know who thinks that, who believes that most of all? Techs. People who've had a brush with Linux in the past, running, you know, like trying to program their Cisco box, you know, and they think that's what Linux is. And they're totally wrong because that's not truth. But I will say, though, it, the command line isn't as as important anymore, but it's still you need to you need to play with it so you're not afraid of it if you ever have to f- use it to fix your system. I would agree with that. Yeah, but again, that's, that's the other thing I always see is a lot of people are afraid of the command line. They're so anti command line to type in a command that they they you you bring up the word. Have you tried typing this into the command line? They go, oh, that thing. No, I don't go anywhere near it. And it's like, yeah. well, why not? The tool is just as strong as the person using it. So, yeah, but the, the 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 only reason you use the command line is to fix something that's broken. All right, so that's that's a myth, right? But it's it's one that has a basis in truth. Most of the time, the average person, the only time they're going to use the command line is to fix something that's broken. It's true in Windows, certainly. Oh, the only yes. time you open the command line is to type in ipconfig uh, because your tech <laughs> told you to. Um, so that's why people are afraid of the command line. They associate that with, with opening the, the, the hood on the car. You know, you, now you're going to ask him to grab a monkey wrench, wrench and, and, and grab that fan belt while it's running. You know, there's, they equate that, the command line with opening up the guts of the machine. I'm in the bowels of the workings now. I'm in the command line. Um, and that's a myth. Uh, the yep. myth is that the command line is over for only for fixing stuff. Um, that's not true. Sometimes it's the fastest, most efficient way to get things done. Even the gooey kid has to admit that. I do admit that. That had to hurt. Did that stick coming up just a little bit? I threw up a little in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I can make that happen, Seth. (laughs) Yeah, Chris, when I think of you, I think of throwing up in my mouth. (laughs) Well, now, wait a minute. Now I don't quite like that as much. (laughs) 
I'm not even going to get involved in that one. Uh, so I'm going to pose that as a, as a query to the audience. What are your Linux myths? Um, and if you can refute them so much, the better. But I'd love to have a follow-up on this. What are myths that you've heard out there in the wild? What have you heard people say uh, about Linux, um, excuse me, about GNU slash Linux that, that is a myth? Uh, what, what are some things that you've heard said um, that people believe? Do we need to cover the because it's free, it's crap myth? Um, yeah, I guess we do. Because I hear that still all the time. But Yeah, I hear it too. Here's what's interesting about that myth. Almost nobody pays for any of the online services they use. Nobody pays for Facebook. Nobody pays for their email, whatever it is. Uh, yep. I mean, how many people actually use the email provided by their their ISP? Well, if you have a Mac.com email, you pay for it. Uh, so, so the, But that's the thing. The, the, the world is full of free technology that we use and we're happy with. But when you come to open source, not necessarily Linux in, in particular, but open source, they say, if you don't pay for it, it has to be crap. Oh, and Jim Beeson yeah. in the chat room, you're not helping with that argument. <laughs> yeah, says, Jim, delete says, that real quick. <laughs> he says, nobody pays for Adobe Reader, Flash, or Java. Therefore, if you don't pay for it, it's crap. That's not a good argument. Uh, no, because those are crap. That's right. <laughs> you're proving the point right there. Um but yeah, I uh, certainly in businesses, um, you hear all the time, it can't be any good if nobody's making money off of it. Um, and that's just, that's just wrong. One of the things that, that I always said um, is you know, an example of that. Let's take a programmer who uh, works for Microsoft, but in his spare time works on the GIMP. Who do you think gets his best code? The, the guy who makes him sit at a desk 40 or 50 hours a week and writes code that he doesn't really want to write but just fills in the blanks, or the open source project that has his passion that he chooses to do in his spare time. Who do you think he's going to write better code for? Yeah, that, and that's almost a no-brainer, though. So, so the, the, you know, in my experience, um, open source projects are better coded than closed source projects because they don't have to go through any hoops to obfuscate their code. They don't have to, to, to uh, worry about that sort of stuff. They can just write the code that works. And, right. And, and plus they tend to be more passionate about it. And so because they care, they want it to work really well. You know, and I always, I tried, I never could get any traction in this when I was in the uh, public education sector. If we would embrace open source, we could hire more football coaches. So um, I thought that would be a great way to get open source involved in the classroom more, but it just did not yeah. didn't work out for me. Another thing I noticed um, when I was teaching students to code years ago uh, is that when you know people can read your code, you write cleaner, neater code. If you know that a compiler is just going to munch it up and spit out a binary, you don't care so much as long just as long as it works, it's fine. But when somebody else can read your code, you want it to look good and you want it to be elegant and efficient. And when I read open source code, that's what I see. I see guys who are proud of that code and have commented, yeah. you know, their initials in the code and and stuff like that, um, because they yeah. care because it can be seen. 
You know, it's it, we also taught in education about writing. If you let kids blog, you give, give, give kids an audience, they will write better than if they're just writing a report that they hand into the teacher and the teacher files in the trash later. If people see your work, you tend to do better work. And that's one of the reasons I think open source code is almost across the board better code than closed source code. I have no proof to back that up, but it's just the way I see things. You have anecdotal yeah. evidence to back yes, that up. Yes, anecdotal evidence. <laughs> it would Which not is hold evidence. Up, right. But, uh, it would not hold up in a court of law, but then again, neither would most of the things I say on this show. Uh, so, anyway, as I was saying, contact us, elementop.com. Use the Contact Us tab right at the top of the page. Or if you're an email kind of guy, send us an email, uh, edl at elementop.com. Or uh, you can even leave us a voicemail by dialing 559-IMOP anywhere in the continental United States and Canada. Um, sorry, Mexico, you're out. Sorry, Europe, you're out. Uh, but... You can leave us a voicemail. And if, if you're one of those other places where you can't use Google Voice, just record a wave or an MP3 and email it to me. That's good enough. It'll work. Um, just make sure the file size is small enough so email will be accepted. Yeah, or throw it on Dropbox and I'll download it there. Something like that. There's lots of ways to get big files across the web. Um, none of them are good, though. <laughs> that's still <laughs> that's that's one of my pet peeves. It's freaking 2013. It shouldn't be hard to send a four terabyte file. We This should be fixed by now. But it's not. Man, a four terabyte file? That would take months for me to download, I think. Yeah, but uh, that aside, it shouldn't be hard to do it. Yeah. You know? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, you could just do a torrent, couldn't you? I mean, <laughs> if you could get enough people to seed it, and if it wasn't blocked by your ISP, sure. Okay. So, anyway, contact us. Let us know your feedback. Once again, feedback show is in the works. I need, uh, I'm going to say six more people to send me good, solid questions or comments before we can have a, a uh, feedback-only show, which could be next week. If you, you, yeah, you, I'm talking to you, get up off your butt. Actually, you don't even have to get up. You can do it right there where you're sitting. Send us some feedback. Send us a comment or a question, something worthy of a feedback show. And audio or text feedback. Absolutely. We're not picky. Yep. So, pseudo send feedback. Yeah, we're going to start using that more often. The power of the pseudo command. Um, run as. No, that's not quite the same thing. Uh, so let's talk about our command line tip of the week that I suspect Chris dumped in there just after I mentioned something earlier in the show. Chris, no, what is our command line of the week? I actually put this in earlier. Okay. I just thought it was really funny that it came up in the middle of our show. Uh, this is the Linux version of ipconfig. It's ifconfig. Anybody have any not, idea why it's if? Hmm? You know why it's if instead of ip? Oh, I did a long time ago. I don't remember it anymore. Interface. Because it's, oh. it's not just the ip command. In the Windows stack, all you can control is the ip. With if, you can control serial or, yeah. or USB. You can control any interface. A little, yep. little trivia there. That is, yeah, that's, I I would have probably never remembered that one because that was long ago. But, uh, yeah, uh, that one's really good for getting your IP addresses and also if you want to change it by hand. Um, I had to use that on my file server the other day to uh, give it access to my network because it decided to puke its DHCP. 
Um, so it was kind of a nice thing to have back in my back pocket to be able to pull that up and force an IP into a, a, a system without having to dig into the um, DNS records. Or you could have just opened up your network control panel on the GUI. Uh, there is no network control panel on a headless system. Oh, okay, fine. If you VNC <laughs> into it, there is. Or if you're using uh There's uh, no VNC. All it, all it is is shell. All it has is a shell. There's no graphical interface at all. That's why I put Such Webman a thing on not every exist. machine I do, just so I can get to it from a web interface. Uh, Seth, have you got any uh, one-dimensional Qbert for us this week? No, I thought I would actually try to be helpful and a responsible member of the interwebs this week. <laughs> um, OpenTeacher.org is an open-source vocabulary training application to help you learn a foreign language. It's cross-platform. The most current version is available in Linux and Windows. And Mac people, you are a second-class citizen because you only have the previous version available to you. But um, you can use it to do like words and places and media lessons and things like that. So, uh, you know, if you can't afford Rosetta Stone, but you want to learn a foreign language, give OpenTeacher a try. OpenTeacher.org. And it has some video there from one of the... Uh, what was that? What's that? Open the Open Movie Project. That's not what they call it anymore. What is that? I anyway. I don't remember what it is. The Blender Project. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, they do I, different things. I for just Blender. saw that yep. in in one of the screenshots there. I love those big buck bunny. Great show. That's it. So anyway, uh, I think that's it. That's the show. And my um, tip of the week is tune in next week when you'll hear Porky Pig say, I don't know, what is it the it was the the pigs in space. They always used to have a tune in next week when you'll hear, and then somebody said something. So, so let's do this. Tune in next week when you'll hear Seth say, "That's not true." Oh, that sounds interesting. That's exciting. That's a tease. What will he be talking about? What has got Seth so excited that he will be shouting, "That's not true!" into the whips? You only know if you tune in next week or download next week or whatever. <laughs> but I'm going to say or that for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. 